Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Your webmasterradio.fm program will begin shortly following this message. On the road. On the boat. Working out. Or up in the air. Now you can listen to webmasterradio.fm on the go from anywhere. Look for webmasterradio.fm on TuneIn. Available for download on your iPhone, iPad, BlackBerry, Android, Palm, Samsung, and Windows Phone as well as Google TV, Yahoo TV, and Roku. Tune in to webmasterradio.fm on the go from anywhere by downloading TuneIn right now. Webmasterradio.fm. We really are everywhere. The opinions expressed on this webmasterradio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of webmasterradio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good Good morning, and um, please be seated. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, welcome to another edition of um, Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, today is April 20th, 
the 99th anniversary of the opening of Fenway Park, um, which is the secular version of the Wailing Wall, I guess. But um, we have a good show for you today. We, um, we're going to start off talking about um, domain issues, and we have Phil Corwin, who is the, um, the founder of Virtual Law LLC, and um, he's also a general counsel for the um, Internet Commerce Association. He's going to tell us what's going on in the ICANN and the domain world. And then in the second half, we're going to talk a, a little bit about the online gambling controversy. The Justice Department just cracked down on three of the leading online gambling sites um, and I'm charging them with money laundering and violating U.S. law. So we're going to be talking about that in the second half. So I uh, hope you'll join us um, and listen in. And if you're listening live, um, join us on the chat room as well. Um, we will take any questions you may have. So um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce um, the esteemed um, Phil Corwin. Um, Phil, you with us? Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Bennett. I'm honored to be asked to be on here and uh, looking forward to our, to our chat. Yes. Thank you for coming. Um, now, Phil, um, tell us a little bit about – we're going to talk a little bit about ICANN um, today. Tell us a little – what is ICANN? Well, uh, ICANN's an interesting and unique uh, creature. I, I think everyone's aware that the Internet was originally uh, developed as a uh, Defense Department project by DARPA, and then uh, it became civilianized in the 90s and uh, uh, was being run by the Department of Commerce. And in the middle of the second term of the Clinton administration, uh, ICANN was spun out of the Department of Commerce in 19... Uh, 98, and its role is to uh, be a technical manager uh, slash coordinator of the domain name uh, system. Uh, but as you'll see from our discussion, uh, it inevitably gets involved with uh, uh, legal and policy issues uh, in that capacity. Uh, it's very unique. It's not a government agency. It's not a multinational uh, body uh, like a U.N. agency. It has no regulatory powers. Its entire powers consist of its uh, contracts with registries, uh, which are the people who run top-level domains like uh, .com, uh, .net, etc., and with registrars who are the uh, parties like GoBaDaddy, Network Solutions, uh, who are the intermediaries for individuals wishing to uh, purchase domains, although there's also a thriving uh, secondary market in uh, Domain. So uh, basically, its powers are limited to uh, what it can enforce via contract. It's uh, a uh, California nonprofit headquartered very close to you in Marina del Rey, California. That was actually something I was very surprised to find. I mean, I was thinking, I always thought ICANN, I, I pictured it being in Washington or New York or London or The Hague, you know, some international center. And it's a surprise that's in you know, this little office building right by the, the, the marina. Um, it was kind of a surprise. But, um, but they actually... They well, that, being, it's really, uh, that's because uh, the technical functions were being performed by the Department of Commerce back in 98 uh, by the University of Southern California so by USC, so it was very convenient to keep it in L.A. because that's where the uh, basic functions were already uh, headquartered. Interesting. Now, um, you're, you're the general counsel for the Internet Commerce Association, and can you tell us what that is? Yeah, this is a, uh, a uh, now five-year-old trade group, almost five-year-olds, founded in uh, fall of 2006 to represent uh, the domain name investment and development uh, industry. Uh, uh, this grew out of a lobbying project I had. Uh, 
I was hired for in 2005, where I was hired by a Canadian company that was uh, lobbying against Department of Commerce approval of a dot-com settlement. Uh, just briefly, uh, there was a dispute about whether VeriSign was entitled to uh, 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 keep running dot-com without a competitive rebid of that contract. Uh, VeriSign sued ICANN. ICANN settled uh, the lawsuit in a way that gave... Uh, VeriSign, a long-term control over .com uh, at a uh, price level that a lot of people thought was not competitive. So uh, this was a very big issue in the domain community, and uh, major registrars were also involved in this. And uh, that's why I first met domain investors, and uh, they felt that they really didn't have any uh, voice uh, in Washington or within uh, ICANN, didn't really, weren't involved in the uh, policy game, and to the extent that people... Uh, knew about them at all. They had a misperception that they were so-called cyber squatters, where, in, in fact, uh, they're very legitimate and innovative uh, business people. And the uh, the members of the ICA consist of individuals and companies who own or manage uh, large portfolios of domains. They treat domains like uh, virtual real estate. They monetize them with advertising and content. And ICA members collectively own uh, or manage about 20 million domains, or about 10% of all the Internet domains in existence. Now, uh, you, just to kind of give a, a, a clearer picture of it, you know, what, exam- what are examples of some of the companies that, that make up the ICA? Well, uh, companies include uh, Oversea, which is a, uh, a large company industry based in Los Angeles. It uh, runs a registrar, an auction service, uh, provides all kinds of other services to uh, Registrants, that is, uh, domain owners. We have uh, European companies, Cedo uh, 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 and uh, Name Drive. We have another LA-based company. There's a lot of uh, uh, Traffic Z, which provides similar services. And then we have uh, some of the leading uh, individual domain owners in the world. Uh, individuals who are pretty well known, like uh, Kevin and Don Ham uh, from British Columbia, uh, Frank Schilling, who's a ca- uh, Canadian. Uh, now headquartered in the Cayman Islands. Uh, uh, we, we have members from around the world, and uh, they each own portfolios uh, uh, generally in the, the 100,000. Uh, well, some of the smaller uh, individuals own, uh, say, portfolios of several thousand names, but we have individuals who own portfolios of several hundred thousand. And they're all, uh, they avoid well, trademark infringement like the plague. They don't want to... Uh, be sued under the Anti-Cyber Squatting Protection Act. They don't want UDRP actions brought against them. If any of that happens, they want to make sure they're on firm ground and can win. So the names are primarily dictionary names, generic names, uh, which get a lot of type-in traffic. You'd be amazed uh, how much type-in traffic there is for people looking for information about uh, a destination, a product, uh a service, and they just type in a dictionary name with .com at the end, usually, unless they're in Europe where they type in the uh, local CCTLD. Uh, right. And uh, they capture that uh, type-in traffic with uh, advertising with content. Uh, for example, there, there are uh, folks I know, not ICA members, but they own a lot of geo names. So one of them is uh, com, and that is a uh, very profitable domain uh, by providing uh, advertising and an ability to book uh, 
hotels, I've, restaurants, and other services in the Palm Springs there, yeah. uh, environment. Uh, it, it, this is real business. Now, um, you know, one, one of your you mentioned Oversee.net. That's um, that was founded by Lawrence Ning. Yeah, I believe it was the uh, the current CEO is uh, Jeff Kapinski, and again, I mean, uh, Lawrence was he was like he was like twenty years old or something like that when he founded it. Yeah, uh, when I go to domain conferences, there's a lot of folks there in their twenties and thirties. I feel quite old, although uh, I have <laughs> I a different function. Uh, um, unfortunately, in Washington, uh, agent experience is a is a more valuable commodity than it is in the online world, or, or entertainment as well. But now um, you just. Uh, you, as part of your job, you go to some of the um, ICANN conferences all over the world, and there was just one in, in San Francisco. Did you go to that? Yeah, I was in uh, San Francisco, uh, a very well-attended meeting, about uh, 1,700 people registered and in attendance. Uh, so uh, there's, uh, as you can see, there's a lot of global interest uh, in what ICANN does. I meet people from every continent, uh, at ICANN meetings, other than Antarctica. And uh, ICANN is re- required under its charter to meet in one of six different uh, geographic regions of the world on a rotating basis. So San Francisco was clearly the North America meeting. The next meeting, the third week of June, will be in uh, Singapore. And the wow. final meeting uh, toward the end of this year will be in Dakar, Senegal. So uh, you, you get a lot of airline miles uh, going to ICANN meetings. Uh, the That's for sure. Um, you should have a World Tour t-shirt. Um, now, there was some controversy at this meeting, though, wasn't there? Well, there's been a continuing uh, controversy. Uh, the, the board of directors of ICANN voted at their meeting in Paris in June 2008 to launch uh, the development of rules uh, for a new generic top-level domain uh, program, where you could you could uh, an investor group can apply for any name to the right of the dot they wish to, and uh, uh, this process has taken a, uh, a longer time than I think the board expected. Uh, they they plan on approving it in Singapore, uh, although that remains to be. Uh, Seen there's some continuing uh, controversies, but it's a very complicated. When you get into this and get into uh, the rules for this round, uh, which, by the way, the application fee per top-level domain will be one hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars, and the real cost of putting together the financing uh, for the experts you need to assemble the application to arrange for your back-end technical provider to actually run the registry and uh, provide financial guarantees. You're, you're really looking at 500000 to a $1 million to make one of these things go. They expect anywhere from two to 500 applications in the first round. Uh, we'll see about how accurate uh, those projections are. And the current version of the guidebook, which was just uh, published in the last week, uh, runs over 300 pages of fairly dense legal and technical uh, Matter so uh, this is a lot more complicated than just applying for an internet uh, domain. Uh, there have been uh, long-running debates uh, in this process about the rules for geographic names, names for uh, countries, capital cities, uh, states, etc. Uh, about controversial springs, there is a going to be an application for uh, .gay, uh, and there there uh, that's controversial in some nations. You're dealing with a global. Uh, 
oversight here, and uh, there'll be other controversies, I have no doubt. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the first for thing financial you said that was technical capabilities. There's been tremendous amount of debate over uh, trademark and other intellectual property protections, which uh, I've been very much involved with. Uh, my the ICA, uh, the Internet Commerce Association, is in no way opposed to uh, protecting trademarks. Uh, uh, we are in no way uh, for cyber squatting or deliberate infringement, but uh, there has been an attempt in this guidebook development process to, frankly, uh, uh, create rules which go beyond existing trademark law. I mean, we've we've gotten into situations where. Uh, we and others have pointed out that it's one thing to protect existing rights. It's another thing to create new rights for domains in the domain name system that don't exist under current law. So uh, it's been very no, contentious, and ICANN, it's still going um, on. Meeting. I'm getting back to the ICANN meeting. Now, the, um, the, there was one of the big controversies was the, um, the XXX um, subdomain, right? Yeah, well, that's a new top-level domain. Uh, that really grows out of a process. It has nothing to do with this new round for generic top-level domains. That's what was called a sponsored top-level domain. It came out of a process that ICANN launched around 2003-2004. It was ostensibly sponsored by the adult uh, content community, basically the online porn industry, although at this point in time the... Uh, the porn industry has been opposed to it. In fact, they came and uh, spoke against it in San Francisco. The Free Speech Coalition, which is their uh, trade group, is very much opposed to it. They're afraid it's going to lead to a a porn ghetto on the Internet and abet the ability of governments to block or censor adult content. And there was a lot of concern about it in ICANN's Governmental Advisory Committee, which is... Basically, a mini UN with an ICANN, and right after the ICANN board uh, approved it, uh, that decision was harshly criticized by the Under Secretary of Commerce, uh, who oversees ICANN for uh, the United States. So uh, uh, that's a controversial one. It was approved largely because uh, ICANN initially denied it. They were threatened with a lawsuit. They went to an independent review commission, which is required. And the review commission concluded that ICANN had no valid reasons under the uh, process. They had the rules of the process for denying the application. So it was kind of a, real, a reluctant uh, approval under threat of litigation. Now, um, you know, the, that kind of leads to about the current status of the U.S. relationship with ICANN. I understand there's been some sparring. Um, some, you know, the Obama administration's had some sharp words for them, and there's also um, some groups that want ICANN to move away from the U.S. to uh, to be part of the UN. Um, where, where where do we stand with that? Well, uh, there have been uh, noises coming from the International Telecommunications Union, which is the uh, UN affiliated body, which basically represents the old uh, state telephone monopolies and, and telecom agencies. And also for the Internet Governance Forum, which is a much more politicized uh, group that looks at a lot of Internet issues under UN auspices, to uh, take ICANN uh, to basically put its functions within a UN affiliated uh, group. Uh, the U.S. Uh, is not enthusiastic about that, notwithstanding its criticisms of. Uh, ICANN, I would say that the U.S. and global business community 
uh, is very leery of that. They, they they think there's probably too much politics in ICANN already, and uh, within groups like the ITU, they have observer status. They have no direct ability to uh, participate the way they do uh, within ICANN's policy development uh, process. Uh, now, the U.S. changed its relationship in the first year of the Obama administration. The U.S. had been uh, exercising direct oversight over ICANN since its uh, launch in 1998 under something that was called the Joint Project Agreement. Uh, that was done away with in the fall of 2009 and replaced by something called the Affirmation of Commitments, where uh, basically the U.S. ended its direct oversight uh, in return for certain uh, commitments ICANN made to the U.S. and the global community about how it would uh, <clears throat> operate. And that happened in the middle of the development of the rules for this new GTLD process. And uh, I, I think in large part led to the uh, Governmental Advisory uh, Committee, the so-called GAC within ICANN, to becoming much more assertive regarding the rules for this uh new top-level domain process, and more recently, uh, to the concern of my members, we have seen the U.S. government and the GAC after intensive lobbying by uh, IP counsel for major global corporations take a very hard-line stance on uh, IP protections, which goes way beyond the uh, consensus recommendations that were worked out within the ICANN community uh, through a process that took about 18 months of uh, some pretty uh, divisive debate and, and cooperative effort. Uh, and uh, so that's still ongoing. Uh, now, the ICANN operates what's known as the authoritative uh, root server, which is the master directory for the uh, dom uh, domain name system under contract from the United States. That is uh, the one remaining tie between the U.S., that's the one principal point of concern for those who uh, would like to see the ICANN functions under a U.N. agency uh, out of concern that the U.S. might block uh, certain top-level domains through that, through that contract. That contract's up for renewal uh, in September of this year. The Department of Commerce put out a uh, request for comment on uh, whether ICANN should continue to operate it, uh, whether the functions should remain together or be unbundled to some extent, but I think in the end uh, that may be used for some leverage uh, over ICANN, but uh, to take it away from ICANN would really be to gut their authority to implement the policies they developed they developed if they no longer had uh, control of that root server if it was transferred to somebody else. We're going to go to a break. So, uh, when we come back, um, Phil, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the issue of domain seizures, and that seems to be a very popular de debate topic among uh, the the, uh, the uh, entertainment community and others who want to just seize domains as, as, a, as a remedy. And so we're, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about that. Sure. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for an affiliate network that can package every solution an advertiser or publisher needs in one account? Your one-stop source for full-service solutions is AdMedia.com. AdMedia delivers an incredible lineup of specialized XML feeds for local, social, and search, plus the advertising arsenal of PPC, SEM, contextual, display, and more. AdMedia gives your campaign real visibility, from emailers to domain redirects. 
Ad Media tailors your all-in-one campaign to give your account a real advantage. AdMedia.com delivers cost-effective ad solutions with real conversions. Learn everything Ad Media can do for you today. Sign up at AdMedia.com. Ad Media, strong ROI made simple. Our clients have earned over $1 billion. Now it's your turn. With over 20,000 products to promote across a huge variety of niches, ClickBank provides countless ways for any affiliate to make money. You can promote any product immediately. No contract required. Looking for recurring commissions? Upsell products? ClickBank's got them. And best of all, you can make up to 75% commissions. Ready to become the next ClickBank success story? Sign up now for free at ClickBank.com. Welcome to SEO 101, your introductory course on search engine optimization. So, turn on your computers, open your minds, grab your mouse, and get ready to get back to the basics. SEO 101. Catch us Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the search engine optimization channel only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're going to be talking again with Phil Corwin, um, giving us the update on what's going on in the domain world. Now, um, a hot topic has been... um, the issue of you know, seizing domains for pirate sites, or you know, and that and they've seized the domain of several online gambling sites. Phil, you know, what is the ICA view on this, and you know, where do you think this trend is going to end up? Well, uh, naturally, uh, with our members owning or managing ten percent of all the domains in the world, we're concerned about seizures when they occur. Uh, as these have, without any advance notice to registrants, without much in the way of uh, due process, uh, uh, w- this first started in the state of Kentucky, actually, a couple of years ago, targeted at uh, gambling uh, sites with the, with the assertion that under Kentucky law they, that a, a domain was a gambling uh, device, like a, like a roulette wheel, uh, which the uh, Kentucky Supreme Court eventually threw out. We were uh, filed an amicus brief in that situation. But uh, clearly the uh, Immigrations and Custom Enforcement Division of Department of Homeland Security has adopted this as a uh, standard tactic for going after uh, uh, infringing uh, websites with copyright or trademark infringement or in, uh, where there's assertion of U.S. law being violated, as with these uh, gambling sites. Uh, there was legislation proposed uh, and, and backed by Hollywood and by trademark interest in the last Congress which got out of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, which would have expanded the authority of uh, federal agencies to do uh, to engage in seizures and would have asserted uh, extraterritorial effect for U.S. law because the big concern here is uh, domains now, was, where, where there's no the nexus with the United States. That was the bill that people were calling the Internet Censorship Bill, was it not? Well, uh, I don't think the sponsors called it that, but a lot of, of other groups yeah. uh, called it that, including groups like... Uh, 
Center for Democracy and Technology, Electronic Frontier Foundation. Yeah, because when you seize a domain, you're not just seizing the domain, you're, you're seizing the email, you're, you, it has free speech implications, uh, you're shutting down an ongoing business uh, uh, without giving it a chance to uh, respond. Uh, my latest information is that, uh, uh, particularly since the chairman of the House Subcommittee with Jurisdiction, which has held two hearings in the last month on online uh, IP infringement, He's come out against domain uh, seizures as a remedy, and uh, I'm getting signals that the Senate's going to back off authorizing seizures in a new way and go with some different approach but, uh, to address online infringement. Uh, I don't know what that approach is yet, but this is, at the same time, I think you're going to see domain seizures go up as a federal law enforcement tool uh, because the feedback I'm getting from the Hill is that uh, the Judiciary Committees, on a bipartisan basis, approve of what ICE is doing and think they have the existing legal authority to uh, continue with that tactic. So, now, um, uh, in uh, Europe, it, there's a, a pop. In several countries, have debated um, the, a, a three strikes rule that uh, after you know three violations, that you know, they can shut down your domain or shut down, you know, block you from access to the internet altogether. And has that is that getting any traction on Capitol Hill? Uh, I haven't seen that particular proposal uh, introduced in the U.S. Congress. I am familiar with it from the uh, EU debates over that. But again, uh, uh, there have been hearings on the House side, but I I'm not uh, uh, yet sure what their new approach is going to be. You know, there's a lot of concern uh, among content providers, particularly in an age of user-generated con content, that the existing that this is going to be a backdoor way to gut the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and its notice and takedown proposal and introduce a much harsher regime that imposes liability on third parties who host a website but don't necessarily mm. place all the content on that website. So I expect we're going to have a very vigorous debate over all of this. But again, I think domain seizures are now part of the arsenal of federal law enforcement in the U.S., and you're going to see them continue and probably escalate. Now, um, does ICA have a, a, a position on the recent seizures um, in, for online gambling? No, we don't have a uh, position on whether those particular seizures were uh, were right or wrong. Uh, and clearly, uh, in most cases, there uh, it seems that the websites were uh, hosting or facilitating infringing content. Although there's concerns that some mistakes uh, were made, and and these gambling sites. Uh, based on press reports, which is all I have to go to, seem to have been uh, uh, trying to get around the uh, U.S. prohibition on online gambling. Whether that's an intelligent prohibition is a different subject. Uh, uh, Barney Frank, now the ranking uh, member on the House Banking Committee, uh, thinks that was a bad idea and has proposed to repeal it, but the current chairman, Spencer Bacchus, is dead set against uh, allowing online uh, Gambling, and then you have local jurisdictions, including the District of Columbia, lo looking at uh, authorizing online gambling for local residents. Although I'm not sure yeah. that's uh, going to survive in a federal environment that says it's illegal and that uh, says you can't provide payment services uh, for that activity. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Now, um, one thing that you, you guys get involved in in terms of ICANN is also – the um, the UDRP the Uniform Dispute Resolution Process, which is the mechanism where um, people can challenge um, someone's um, you know, 
basically use of their do- of, of a domain that they think is cyber squatting um, without having to go through court. It's a rel- relatively quick and inexpensive process. It's all done on paper. Um, no court appearances or anything. You submit your position. The I um, I the uh, arbitrator arbitrator asks for a, a response, and then you get a sir response, and then you get a decision within a couple of months. It's a very quick process. Um, so um, you you I understand that you guys have been talking about um, possibly reforming that system. Well, actually, ICANN has just embarked on a UDRP reform process. Uh, we've we're very happy they did. We've been advocating that throughout the new uh, top-level domain policy development process that the right way to do this is not to create new trademark protection mechanisms just for new top-level domains, but to do a thorough review of the uh, UDRP after a decade of use. Uh, uh, we have concerns about the current process. Uh, incredibly, uh, ICANN authorizes groups like the National Arbitration Forum in the U.S. and uh, World Intellectual Property Organization to be accredited uh, arbitrators for UDRP cases, but there's no contract between ICANN and these entities governing uh, their responsibilities or their limits to their power in performing that function. We we think there needs to be a standard agreement. There needs to be more star decisis, more certainty about how similar fact patterns are going to come out, uh, because in a lot of cases you see very similar situations with opposite uh, that's rulings. True. Uh, that's true. W- 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 there's a lot of issues here. Uh, we want to see some penalties for attempted reverse domain name hijacking, uh, where under current rules the uh, panelists can find that a complainant has tried to uh, illicitly steal a name, but there's no penalties for doing so. So, so uh, we th- we're glad ICANN is getting into this process. Frankly, it's going to take a couple of years to sort things out. Uh, and create a process which is more predictable and fairer for both. Uh, and when you say reverse domain name hijacking, you mean uh, someone submitting a complaint um, which is it was really without merit? Yeah, and, and a typical get, situation get is where someone has, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's say bkelly.com, and uh, you registered that uh, 10 years ago, and then the, uh, the, the you know, the rap singer B. Kelly... Uh, Trademarks his name a decade later and brings a UDRP saying that you're uh, you are registered and are using that domain uh, in bad faith, which is the standard for a uh, UDRP. And the cases generally say, you know, no, that's uh, you can't target a domain that you covet, uh, file a trademark years after the domain was registered, and then say there's trademark infringement going on because there couldn't have been any bad faith when it was registered because the trademark didn't exist at that point in time. So that would be a typical situation where a panel might find that uh, hijacking had been attempted. There actually have been some famous cases of celebrities losing, um, you know, cyber-squatting cases. I think Sting is, is, a, is a big example. Um, but um, – and, um, and there's a couple others. Their names are escaping me. Now um, – in the UDRP process, one thing that's very important to understand is that at the end of the process, it's not you don't just get a decision. Um, the during first of all during the, the arbitration, um, your domain is locked. You cannot access your website during that period. No, that's not. Um, it's, it's not. You can still keep using the website, uh, but but you can't move it. It's locked at the registrar, so you can't right. shift it to a registrar that's outside. Uh, jurisdiction. 
but then it's different once from decisions uh, made, a domain if you lose, seizure. But at the, the end the of the process, sites. if the registrant is found to be uh, in violation of UDRP policy to have registered the domain and in bad faith and be using it in bad faith, uh, the domain is transferred to the complainant. <laughs> They yeah, that's, that's the thing. There's, there's a certain finality about it. You do it. You know, you know it's not not a court decision where you have to then enforce it or appeal. I mean, it's boom. If you lose, you well, lose a domain. Well, but and, you can't appeal. Uh, for example, if you're a U.S. registrant, uh, the UDRP says that if you lose a UDRP case, you can uh, immediately file uh, for a federal court review under the. Uh, Anti-Cybersquatting Protection Act, and if you win that lawsuit, and that happens sometimes, you keep the domain. So there is a right, but in the interim, you lost the domain. Looks to national law. Unless, unless you get a, you know, uh, an order from the court, you, you know, in the interim, you've lost that domain. You don't, you don't control it. It's transferred. Well, I'd have to. I, I don't engage in UDRP practice. I'm not sure it's transferred if an appeal is filed. Uh, Immediately, but but uh, if you don't appeal, you definitely lose it. It goes to the complainant. And so that's that's one of the attractions of, of that whole process is it's it's quick and the, and the finality of a decision. Now, um, you, you guys have had some battles with um, some of the major trademark holders. You know, some of the big corporations over um, you know some of your um, you know, the websites that you guys have, have purchased and um, you. We're, particularly on Capitol Hill, over you know, trying to increase um, or broaden the breadth of what what is considered trademark infringement. Um, where do you guys stand on that lately? We we, we think that uh, existing law in the U.S. the Anti Cyber Squatting Protection Act is it's a very strong law. We don't think anything uh, further is required to protect the legitimate rights of trademark uh, owners, and and we haven't seen any. Uh, uh, proposals to uh, amend that act. Uh, we've, we've seen some talk in the press once in a while from groups that uh, tend to exaggerate the extent and the economic damage of uh, so-called cyber squatting. But uh, uh, basically, we think that the rules are good. And again, my, my members are, uh, they often uh, purchase their domains for substantial sums, for five, six, or even seven figures in the secondary market, and, and they're not going to spend that kind of money on a uh, domain which has any potential uh, trademark infringement. Their stock and trade are dictionary words uh, that, that attract uh, type and traffic. And, you know, it's not just us. Uh, they're, uh, uh, at the uh, Senate hearing on uh, uh, infringement and what should be done about it, uh, back in February, Rosetta Stone testified, and, uh, of course, they're suing Google where Google is selling trademarks to competitors of the trademark owners for search results. So, for example, uh, Toyota can buy Nissan uh, right. and, and put ads up for when someone searches for a Nissan automobile. They see ads for Toyota, uh, and uh, depending on your point of view, <clears throat> that's either impermissible trademark infringement uh, or it's like uh, someone buying... Uh, uh, it's like Lever Brothers buying shelf space next to Procter and Gamble in the supermarket, and giving yeah, consumers it's, it's comparative a shopping. Choice. And, and that's yeah. the analogy it's often used is the, is the supermarket aisle. But okay. um, so Phil, um, yeah, actually you mentioned domain names. I mean, Sex dot com sold for what fifteen million last year, and um, so um, domains are definitely big money issues. 
And um, any event, um, Phil, I want to thank you for your time. Any, anything else you want to share with us about um, ICA before we, we, uh, we go to the second segment? Well, no, uh, other than uh, the fact that uh, uh, my members are, uh, uh, you know, they feel uh, uh, that it's establishing the association was a very good uh, move, that uh, we've really cleared up a lot of misconceptions about the industry. Uh, ICANN, for example, uh, has now put out, uh, taken the position that domain parking, which is just to park a domain and have advertising links in it, is a legitimate activity, a legitimate business activity, as long as there's no uh, uh, deliberate infringement going on. And uh, so we've really increased the understanding of the industry on uh, uh, within ICANN and on Capitol Hill so that people understand this is just one more part of the new Internet uh, business ecosystem. You have to see if you can get um, um, domain valet parking because that would be very popular. But, um, Phil, if people want to contact you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, well, uh, if you just go to uh, uh, my uh, website is uh, vlaw-dc.com. Uh, that's the website for virtual law, all one word, V-I-R-T-U-A-L-A-W. And uh, you'll see my contact information there. And uh, I'd be happy to uh, talk with anyone with an interest in... Uh, any of the issues we've touched on or other things relating to the domain name system and uh, uh, IP uh, protections on the Internet. Well, Phil, thank you very much. It's always been a pleasure talking with you, and um, I hope you consider coming back someday. Absolutely, Bennett. Look forward to it. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, Brasco, we'll take, well, we take a break now, and we'll come, come back with our last segment on online gambling. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. If you're looking for a new multifaceted SEO and social media tool set, look for The Raven. Raven has the important tools that every internet marketer needs. Raven offers customized metrics for managing link building campaigns, social media campaigns, with campaign reporting and research tools that you can easily manage. Build up campaign performance for your clients and give your team the tools that will make them soar. If you want to increase your internet marketing revenue, look for The Raven. Go to raventools.com. That's raventools.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. From domains to digital marketing, social media to blogging, you can reach this broad audience by using what you're listening to now. 
Reach the thousands of Internet marketers that download and listen live to the premier on-air and on-demand podcast network, webmasterradio.fm, with the Internet Marketing Channel. Our ad campaigns are fully integrated with multiple avenues of exposure, from slick, effective 30-second commercials to detailed, informative 30-minute town hall meetings. Expose your products and services to listeners and podcasters of not just shows like Market Edge and Domain Masters, but anyone looking for ways to market their business with your product. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm to find out more. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Welcome back, and um, that was an interesting segment with Phil. Um, Phil's also of counsel with a, a, another law firm in D.C., and um, one of the partners there is John Anderson. I don't know if you remember him. He ran for president in 1980, and um, it's interesting. I actually, when I was in D.C., I, I saw him um, getting off the subway. Um, clearly, he had just come from the airport and then taking a bus. Um, you know, so that's quite a... You're definitely a guy who has no ears. He doesn't doesn't need a limo. He just takes the subway and the bus from the from the airport, which I thought was kind of cute. But um, any event, moving from cute to to something somewhat different, um, we're going to talk a little bit about online gambling. And I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, over the week last week, the Justice Department shut down three of the largest online gambling sites um, on the web. And, now, let me just back up a little bit and give you a little framework of what we're talking about. Um, online gambling has been illegal in the United States for several years now since the passage of the Online um, Uniform Online Gambling Enforcement Act, um, UGA, and um, basically it prohibits the payments of any collecting payments for online gambling. And um, as a result, you know, banks and credit cards are unable to process any payments for online gambling in the United States, which has effectively shut down the whole industry. Um, although online gambling is legal, um, strangely enough, in um, in a few jurisdictions, uh, to the extent that um, if you have off-track betting, you're allowed to also have um, – you, you can have online um, off-track betting as well. But um, – is, is not permissible in the U.S. And so what we saw was these, these, these entities were trying to get around the, the whole um, restriction on you know, using credit cards um, in U.S. financial processes for online gambling by uh, otherwise um, disguising their site as e-commerce sites or in one case just you know, paying a very large sum to a bank to um, just more or less say, hey, turn the other way. And they, they found some trouble bank that was willing to do that. And so the Justice Department has gone after them and, um, and shut all three down. If you go to the websites now, um, you know, Full Tilt Poker, um, Poker Stars are two of them. Um, you just see a notice from the Justice Department saying, you know, that these sites have been closed down and they're now the property of the Justice Department. And um, so it definitely was a big development, but very interesting time. Um, the District of Columbia had just passed a, a law that would enable online, legalize online gambling in the District of Columbia. 
Now, the District of Columbia is an interesting, um, um, unique um, jurisdiction in that it actually is controlled by Congress. And so any law that District of Columbia passes has to get um, – can be um, – vetoed by Congress. And so every law they pass has a 30-day review period in which Congress can act. And straight oddly enough, Congress did not act at the end of the 30 days. And so in, in a technical sense, online gambling is legal in the District of Columbia. But um, it's unclear how that's going to work um, with the federal prohibition on online gambling. Um, they're they're going to have some definitely some jurisdictional battles and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some rider in some federal uh, appropriation just prohibiting um, the D.C. law because that's often you – know, D.C. gets regulated by Congress um, by, by little riders and um, in appropriations measures sometimes. And um, so it definitely um, is going to be coming to a head. But a number of other states are looking at online gambling or legalizing some form of online gambling. Um, as a way of revenue, and um, the online the, um, the gaming industry position is that they would like to see online gambling be, be legalized, um, but they want to see it regulated. What they want to see is um, licensed companies involved, so people you know consumers are protected. They know they're dealing with someone reputable, and um, and that's really what they're looking for right now. And um, it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, Barney Frank. Of the who um, up until the, the switch in power um, was in charge of the financial service committee was really pushing strongly for repeal of the um, prohibition on online gambling and and people pointed you know the the, the high <coughs> the, the tax revenue that could come in you know just because of the popularity of online gambling and um, but you know, there's definitely a, a strong opposition on the uh, the right, particularly the Christian right, to online gambling, you know, they see it as a, a moral social issue, and so it's definitely been pushback on the issue. And um, so, but you do have several states looking at it. Um, it's going to be keep coming up, but right now, with the change in power, the new um, House Financial Services Committee chairman is dead set against um, legalizing online gambling, and they, that so that creates a very um, the problem there, that, and so if anything happens, it's going to happen from the Senate side, where you have Harry Reid, the senator from Nevada, who's also pushing gambling. But in, there was actually a thought that he might try to do that during a lame duck session, but it just didn't happen. Now, here's the important thing to keep in mind: if you with respect to online gambling, the the Justice Department takes the position that even advertising. Um, for online gambling, illegal online gambling sites. If you do that, you're you're an accessory um, to a crime, and uh, because you're facilitating um, violation of the U.S. law. And in um, 2007, Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo collectively paid 31 million dollars settlement with the Justice Department for their role in advertising and you know promoting online gambling, and then. Um, one thing that came up as a way to get around the prohibition or um, you know, backdoor the prohibition on online gambling is what is called .NET sites. These, you, know, you would have poker. You know, um, Brasco's poker .com would be the gambling site, but then you would have this um, poker Brasco's poker .net, and they would have information 
about poker, how to play the game, things of that nature. Um, but it wouldn't have, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to gamble there on the site. And so um, the one thing that definitely um, the Justice Department looked at was, well, if you're doing that, um, the key thing is if you have links to the site that enable gambling or um, you do, unless you say uh, provisions that this is strictly educational and don't really enable them to go to a gambling site directly from the diet, you're okay. But if it's really just, the, um, just more or less putting a porch on the, the, the house of a gambling site, they're going to go after you. And um, so that's, uh, that's been progressing. Now, let's see you know, a little more liberal view on online gambling, but it's still highly regulated, and it varies country by country. There, there has been um, a push to try to um, create more of a uniform European Union position, but um, states are very resistant in that way, and so it still is a country by country issue, um, and it's hard to say you know, which one you'll be. Some are, are more liberal than others. Now, um, one other issue with online gambling was that the, um, the the mighty nation of Antigua and Barbuda, um, a beautiful island actually. If you have never been, uh, they were um, at one point one in ten people in Antigua were employed in online gambling. It was a very big um, revenue producer for them. And when the U.S. shut down the online gambling industry, um, you know, they were quite upset. And so they actually filed a grievance with the. Um, with GATT, the World Trade Organization, under the um, the GATT um, trade treaty, and um, they took it all the way to the top, and they won. And surprisingly, and so then um, you had another couple of years where um, the WTO had to figure out what were the damages um, for um, Antigua, and Antigua actually wanted billions of dollars, uh, but instead they got um, $21 million a year in damages. Not a whole lot. Um, but the, then the question turned to how do they collect? And um, well, there that's the problem. And um, so what WTO decided was that it would allow Antigua to suspend compliance with um, U.S. intellectual property laws, you know, for U.S. goods. So in other words, they could start selling, um, you know, pirated Microsoft software, um, pirated videos, you know, things of that nature. And um, naturally, the U.S. software industry, the U.S. entertainment industry, um, was apoplectic about the possibility of having this little, you know, mini pirate discount shop just in a, you know, in a short distance off its shores. And so, um, there've been ongoing negotiations with the United States and Antigua over that. Antigua has yet to take any steps um, to enforce, um, or, you know, and to take go into the uh, the piracy zone. But um, it definitely is. Um, you know something that can that may come up again. Um, the European Union also has threatened to bring a claim against the U.S. under the same grounds. So this there's, there's going to be pressure, I think, to revisit this issue, particularly I think because of the you know the budgetary pressures. I mean, there's a large amount of revenue that um, you know could be brought in, and then the, there's the other issue that you know the banks, the U.S. banks, feel they're being cut out of, of a very um, strong industry. And the you know the U.S. gaming people are kind of like in Europe and China and saying, you know, why aren't we making this money as well? And so um, there's definitely going to be a push, I think, to bring this back. 
but they have to overcome some of the moral opposition to gambling as a whole. And um, so um, I don't know what, what your views are on online gambling, but it's definitely something to um, keep your eye on in the future. But the key is to just remember, you know, be careful um, in getting in advertising online gambling. Um, if you're ad- sending advertisements directed to U.S. consumers, um, then you could be considered an accessory. So um, I hope you en- enjoyed this show today. Um, I want to thank Phil for Phil Corwin for spending a good amount of time with us talking about ICANN. It's kind of a little-known um, but important body in the Internet. And um, we have some interesting issues there in terms of what's going to happen. Um, what the, one of the big issues with the um, triple X domain is that there's a concern that um, jurisdictions will then require adult sites to use the triple um, X subdomain, and then um, that will enable filters to just you know easily filter out um, all adult content, and you know, which may be the right, but the um, the adult industry sees that as a potential death knell for them. So. Um, you know, that's definitely something we're going to see uh, as as that's been approved, and we'll see how that adopts. Um, so, any event, it's been good talking to you um, as usual every week. I hope you come back next week for a conversation on what's going on in the internet and internet business. And this is Bennett Kelly with Internet um, with Cyber Law and Business Report with the, from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. I want to thank you for joining us, and look forward to talking to you next week. Court adjourned. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.